When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up and welcome back to Kinda Funny's Christopher Nolan in Review. That's right. We're ranking, reviewing, and recapping every Christopher Nolan movie. Of course, I am Tim Geddes, and I'm joined by the Nitro Rifle, Andy Cortez. Hello. It's Christmas in July. Joey Noel. Hello. And rounding out the group today, the producer slash seducer, Nick Scarpino. Hello. I love that. And I love in review. We just get to get together every week, talk about movies, rank them, review them, recap them. And what a time it has been. Pretty much every week, you guys, the journey's about to come to an end. All right? We've been, I feel like the four of us, for the most part, have been in it week to week to week to week, never missing a theater experience. This has been the review there's, season for us. It has been <laughs> wild, yeah. man. Like, legitimately, like, I don't think in history there's been this much, like, back to back movies worth going to see in the theater um and it's been absolutely incredible so you guys can check out in review we've done every massive franchise there is the last couple weeks this is an interesting one though because we're doing obviously Nolan in review because we've been doing that forever so we have to include oppenheimer but a lot of people are like how are you guys going to cover barbie of course we're going to do barbie we're kind of funny we have some super fun plans for that um so this is going out this week next week we'll be doing barbie we're going to be doing a special monday slot of recording for people on patreon and then it'll record tuesday morning for everybody else um but we have some really fun things planned for that so i'm excited for you all to see that um and you're definitely going to need Need a little bit of fun, a little bit of a palate cleanser after this one, because I feel like it's a, it's a bit heavier of a movie. We're going to have a lot of fun talking about it today. Uh, but, of course, this is kind of funnies in review. Like I've been saying, ranking, reviewing, recapping movie franchises. If that sounds cool to you, this is the place you want to be. YouTube.com slash kindoffunny, roosterteeth.com, or podcast services around the globe. If you want to go even further uh, and help us more, you can go to patreon.com slash kindoffunny, just like our Patreon producers, James Hastings, Casey Andrew, and Nathan Lamothe have done. Thank you. Uh, we appreciate all of you so very much. Today we're brought to you by Liquid IV, but Patreon people won't near, need to hear that ad. Uh, but yeah, like I was saying, it's been week after week after week of stuff, um, and this, the blockbuster season is, is coming to an end. We have Oppenheimer, Barbie. Uh, we still have Ninja Turtles. We still have Blue Beetle, and that's kind of the end. And then it's like there's a scattering throughout the year of a couple movies coming out, mm-hmm. but like it's... It's wild that it's over. Yeah, I, we've been doing some research because we have the next version of our movie draft for the year coming out for Patreon people in like a couple the next week or so. But as I was like researching what's coming out for the rest of the year, a lot of indie movies, yep. not a lot of like big hitters, some interesting ones. But I feel like we have a break until we get to like the end of the year when yeah. I feel like that's the little baby resurgence of everything. I'm looking forward to like a chiller theater experience of being able to just let's just go watch a smaller yeah. comedy. Or well, what's the one with Jennifer Lawrence that just came out? Hard to kill. Yep. <laughs> Is it like the no Jennifer Lawrence, Stevenson. No hard feelings. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's 
like that. Like, I'm yeah. No hard feelings. And getting in there and giving him a shot. But yeah. we'll have to wait for all of that. Oh, oh, sorry. I should have mentioned this. Secret Invasion review on the MCU side. We will be doing that. So uh, we're kind of backed up a little bit. So uh, Nolan in review this week. Barbie next week. The week after that, we're going to be starting it off with uh, Secret Invasion with Nick, Andy, and Greg joining me to give our full thoughts and ranking it against the rest of the MCU. So get excited for all of that. But today, we are talking about Oppenheimer. With a runtime of three hours on the dot. Exactly three hours. Um, A release date of July 21st, 2023, which will go down in history as Barbenheimer Day. The day that both Barbie and Oppenheimer came out. Um, It's Nolan's first film not to be distributed by Warner Brothers domestically or internationally since Memento. As well as his first film to receive an R rating since Insomnia in 2002. Um, it was directed and written by Christopher Nolan uh, based on American Prometheus, The Triumph and Tragedy of J. Robert Oppenheimer, a 2005 biography of the theoretical physicist. I just want to stop right here and just say, Christopher Nolan, man, how the hell does he make all these movies, direct them, but write them? Like, mm-hmm. how do you write this movie and Dunkirk and Interstellar and Inception and The Dark Knight? <laughs> like, it's just... He's so smart. Yeah. I'm so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, You're really so dumb. Tenant, like right there. Well, the tenant that. too. Hey, look. All right, there you go. Look, there's. there's did he write tenant or did tenant write itself? Oh wow, oh. that's a good question. <laughs> there's nothing that makes me feel dumber than knowing that these. Not only are they incredibly creative, right? Like Chris Nolan is one of these that will be on the Mount Rushmore, I think, but. Uh, not like the actual Mount Rushmore, not of entertainment, like the actual, they're going to replace one of those. <laughs> oh, you think it's like the, Washington yeah, yeah, like, Washington. Yeah, replace Washington. Um, but just the amount of education and research that has to be put into the the subject matter, like it, it's it's wild to just write a good movie and a good script about your friend from high school, but it's even crazier <laughs> to do that about stuff like this that requires a shitload of research and a massive team of people to tell you what's wrong. And then you might have a really cool plot point. Oh, but we'll hit this thing. Oh, but that doesn't make sense uh, scientifically. Shit, never mind that. Like, all that blows my mind, dude. And you have to make it easily understood by a bunch of dum-dums. Yeah. Like, I think that's the, the craziest mm. balance is, like, making something that has to be so accurate to, a, to an extent. I'm sure there's inaccuracies because it is a movie. Um, but to have it be such a high-level thing but also need to be understood by general moviegoers, I am just so impressed. Nick, you were about to say something? Oh, I was going to say, well, I mean, you know, the, the science behind it and the actual events behind it, I think, are the easy part because it's based on history and, and multiple books that I'm sure have been written about Oppenheimer. That stuff's the easy part. The thing that I thought, I had feared that, Nolan was going to fail at uh, was weaving in the rest of the politics behind it. Um, and I think he did a really, really good job of, of keeping like, cause at one point we're switching, we're switching times between like five or six different eras back and forth. And so visually and both makeup wise, costume wise, and just how they, how they did all that stuff. I thought was actually really well done. Yeah. Uh, the music was done uh, by Ludwig Gorenson, uh, who's just just rising the ranks to goat status <laughs> day by day, Andy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Unbelievable. But I never uh, thought we'd get a, a Ludwig and um, uh, a Nolan collaboration. Uh, although, wait, did he do Tenet as well? I, I don't remember. Tenet feels like a. I can look that up. A blip, but uh, sure. uh, it's just I just love it. I love I love seeing him get these uh, the, these big swings, and I think he did a great job with this one. Yeah, he did Tenet. Oh, okay, awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this one, a budget of a hundred million dollars. Hundred million dollars. How? Barbie. 
Guess the budget of Barbie. One fifty. Double that. One forty-five. Yeah. 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 I'm just like, wow. It's just surprising. Very yeah. surprising. Having said that, um, the there's no box office now because the movies aren't even out. But the projections clearly. Barbie's through the freaking roof. Like Barbie is like a little bit more commercially viable film. Extremely well. Um, But this is crushing too. It's essentially sold out. And I think a lot of that has to do with how much they're pushing the big prestige format stuff of the IMAX. If you could watch this in IMAX, watch this in IMAX. We are so lucky that we got to see it in true proper 70 millimeter IMAX. I've never seen anything like this, man. Like, holy crap. The visual quality of this shit was like completely unrivaled like nick were you impressed with this yeah very much so um almost more so than when we saw interstellar and imax which had a very similar vibe to it i think he's just really like he loves film obviously he 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 picks different formats um sometimes because i think he thinks it's going to work well with narrative but also sometimes it can be kind of gimmicky and this one i think he really really was like look this is this movie needs to be big it's about this incredibly probably arguably the most historic event that's ever happened in humanity uh and and 70 millimeter format for this when it fills the screen feels right for that and you sit in that theater and when you see those moments where it fills the entire screen you feel the magnitude of what's about to happen and what and what really happened in real life and it it just works so well i thought this movie was beautifully shot almost more so than any other movie he's ever made probably this this might be his most beautiful film yeah it definitely was a spectacle. Uh, it was all shot on 65 millimeter and 65 millimeter large format film, uh, including for the first time sections in IMAX black and white analog photography. That's why the black and white stuff had such a like unique uh, look to it. It didn't just look like a filter or like you know yeah. like oh yeah, she shot the scenes in yeah, black and white. It was like it looked yeah like. So damn good. Uh, and as with his previous works, Nolan utilized extensive practical effects and minimal computer-generated imagery. Uh, one of the cooler things going around is that, like, of course there's CGI. There's CGI and everything. Like, CGI is such a, a blanket That's statement. like compositing, though, and all that. Exactly. Yeah. But in terms of, like, none of the shots in this movie were, like, full-on computer-generated. Like, the bomb that went off was a real bomb that went off. The flames that we saw, the stars, all that stuff, those were real, man. And like that just <laughs> blows my mind. It just makes it all so much more special to see on such a big screen. They, and they did a lot of that stuff too, right? Where you could tell a lot of the sparkling stuff, a lot of like the the visuals they used to like represent the atoms and like mm-hmm. the, the stardust and like all these moments of like fusion and implosions and explosions, all that stuff. I it may in my brain, I'm like, I don't know if that's what that really looks like. But it's such it's so visually haunting and beautiful that it works to get across what they're trying to get across. And they could have very easily this could have very easily been like the core. We're like, all right, let's just the visualize yeah. this. You know, like really <laughs> shitty CG. Nolan's the, the core. core. <laughs> you, you know, go like you get bad CG, bad moments Michael that just kind Bay of take you out of this. But instead he was like, Hey, we're not gonna we're not gonna blow up a nuke. Right. We're not we don't have that like we can't go that real with it. But what can we do that that simulates that or gives the feel of it? And a lot of this movie felt it felt like we were um, in this sort of surreal period when those moments happened, which is very, very artistic and very, very cool. Like, I don't know if that's what that stuff. I mean, obviously, a bomb looks like a bomb, but like I'm talking about the moments where like it was a sparkle like stardust and all these Mm -hmm. things and those little atom moments and all that stuff, like all that stuff. I don't know if that's accurate or not. I don't care. It works so well. and And it just lends itself this like. This sort of like, for lack of a better term, like quantum mechanic version of what's happening, meaning I don't know what the hell any of that is. I don't know if I'm supposed to understand what that is, but I get the feeling of mm-hmm. what it is. Yeah. And that's why that, I mean, and just shout out to Hoyt Van Hodima that the shot all this, who was his uh, Nolan cinematographer that he's worked with a lot because he just, he nailed it. Yep. 
So let's get into our thoughts on this movie. Andy Cortez, I want to start with you. What do you think of Oppenheimer? Um, I thought it was dreadful and beautiful. And I think the number one thing I could say about it is like, I was captivated the whole time. I never felt bored. I never checked my watch. I was just in that experience with everybody else in that theater. And it was a jam-packed IMAX. Like, this was one of every, every seat. seat was taken. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was made better because I got the TMNT green apple slushy. <laughs> but, with, but without the thing, right? They didn't have Pop Rocks. Nope. They didn't have the Pop Rocks. So I mixed in some cherry. I can't think uh, of a drink that I can picture Oppenheimer drinking more yeah. than that. Yeah, I got the green apple slushy. Let me tell you what. Dealing with some massive like chest and stomach problems last night because hmm. I got a lot of uh, I ate a lot of Airhead stripes. <laughs> Air the Airhead yeah. extremes felt awful. <laughs> like <laughs> this morning, I was like, I think I'm dying. Like I yeah. cannot, I cannot sleep right now. I am like having uh, trouble. Like I feel like I'm gonna vomit. Anyway, Andy, um, I appreciate you uh, handing those over to me. Yeah, I get. Like, I oh, need to is stop. that? Is that what happened to you? Because I heard you and I smelled you smacking those things. Oof, but I had a buffer. D came with us and she was sitting between us. And I didn't want to embarrass myself by asking my wife to ask Andy if he could please hand over the airhead. Oh, that's your line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's good. Now we, can yeah. finally, we finally know now where we know. these lines are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. She just can't be bothered. Um, yeah. yeah, I think this movie, like Nick mentioned, was shot uh, impeccably. This is like, I think the, the purest form of what Christopher Nolan wants to like this is like his art this is like the purest form of art that he could put on screen and being there in that theater with everybody else feeling the dread feeling the sometimes happiness because you know the, the nolan i think does a decent job of like you know peppering in some nice little one-liners every once in a while and, and i always think they're like really aptly placed but um, I think the cast in this is phenomenal. I think Robert Downey Jr. was fucking great. I think Killian Murphy was incredible. Everything was like so pitch perfect. Um, and then the final act of the movie begins, and it it's like an, a movie unto itself. And you're wondering, like, oh shit, there's still a lot more left of this. There's about an hour left of this movie. Mm -hmm. Should it have ended at the two-hour mark? And I think the rest of it is still done so incredibly well. And the, I think more than anything, what I told Tim and Kevin last night, this felt like a three-hour-long trailer. This was cut like a trailer. Um, while I was sitting there watching it, it's like it was relentless in its pace. It is just there is music happening in what seems like 98% of the movie um, constantly driving the dialogue forward, constantly having these characters go back and forth. And then I think more than anything, though, this movie, like I need to watch it again with subtitles because there are a lot of names. There are a lot of characters oh, yeah. or a lot of historical figures that are being kind of just thrown in there. And I'm forgetting what name was what person in the movie. So I had some trouble with that kind of bringing in all that information Especially when we get to the final act, where it is very much a, a it, this guy said this guy about it, this, this it, thing about this person was that a lie? Was this true? Was like, it, oh, it, it becomes it becomes a court case that uh, a, about characters that I for this. <laughs> yeah. all the pictures it beca it becomes a court case about characters that I feel like I didn't know a whole lot anyway, and now it became like super integral of having to know whose side was on whose and 
who was double crossing who and everything like that. And that stuff I'm just extremely ignorant about. I don't remember anything about this stuff in history class, uh, just because I don't remember a whole lot of anything uh, in any of my classes. Um, I mean, but I, I still I think this. I don't think like, any of us had a specific history <laughs> class on the formation of the atomic yeah. bomb. I imagine it was yeah, like a, a little byline yeah. class session. Um, I think this is like a a much a must watch in IMAX. Um, I think this is one of Christopher Nolan's finest works that he's put out. This is not the movie you go watch though to you know, hey, maybe I don't have a whole lot of interest in Interstellar, but uh, or or in space, but I'm going to watch Interstellar anyway because like of the visuals and it having like this sort of sci-fi kind of vibe to it. This is like as nonfiction. I think any of his works can get, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, you know, Dunkirk was nonfiction. Dunkirk well. may, may have had some embellishments when it comes to action and things like that. Yeah. Right. But I think this is the one that like impresses me the most because of its subject matter. Um, this movie was very, very impressive. And, you feel like shit walking out of the theater because you just have all this weight on you and ugh, it, but it's kind of what I wanted to feel when I walked out. I told, <laughs> I told Barrett and Tim that like I, the way I, I felt walking out of that theater is how I was hoping to feel. I wanted to feel like I, I didn't want this to steer into like not war porn, but like the, you know, the glorification of, of war and the arms race and everything like that. I mm. was, there are moments where it treads into that because it's kind of making a point. And yeah, I think this, I think this movie is incredible. Nick, I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I'm with Andy on this one. I mean, to say that it's entertaining is not something you can really, it's not a word you could use to describe this. It's riveting. Uh, it's haunting and it's beautiful. Uh, but it's everything that you would, that you would, a movie of its ilk and caliber would demand of the subject matter. Uh, you walk out and it is a gut punch and you can't help but think of things like AI and what, and, and the, the current arms race that's happening with that and what the, what the implications of that are going to be as we go forward. Um, because as we look back into this, uh, you're seeing a lot of that history being repeating, repeating itself right now. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I think I, to, to Andy's point, I, I enjoyed Dunkirk, but I think just because the subject matter of this is a little bit more familiar and, and way more, I think, uh, unfortunately relevant to the entire world, you can't help but be riveted by this. And I think just he, he skates that line uh, between being intrigued by the science and then being horrified by the morality of this whole thing, the entire movie. And you see that in Oppenheimer, you see that mirrored in, in, in what he's feeling and what he's outwardly pushing toward everyone the confidence of being this like cult-like leader in new mexico uh versus what he's inwardly feeling which at one point i was like is that the same effect they use this when when the scarecrow does the, oh, with the uh, yeah. background stuff um, but all that stuff really really worked because because that's what the movie's about right the movie's about like was this inevitable and once once the once we hit that path, what are the implications of this world? Like, should we ever use this? I loved all that discussion. I loved them just sitting in a room, uh, the scene where they're talking to the the, the secretary, to, to the president, and he's like, we're using this on Japan. And, and Oppenheimer's like, we shouldn't. We, and we should share this with our allies. This is an opportunity for us to like share this and like be and have an open dialogue about all this. And the guy's like, nah, we'll just bomb Japan with it. And we'll, but not we'll Kyoto because that's where me and my wife, my wife went to vacation. Yeah. Like, um, what a God. fucking punch. Which <laughs> is wild, right? Um, uh, but and then and then the discussion of having like wait you're gonna drop two he's like well yeah one shows that we have it and two shows that we'll, we're willing to use it whenever and then I mean all of that stuff to me is absolutely fascinating and that's that's its own bait that I think they had a lot in this and they had a lot of great debates in this uh, but ultimately you know this is one of those movies that. This is one of those movies that I think should be required by everyone to go see. You should go see it in 70 millimeter. You should allow yourself to be kind of punched in the gut by just the sheer importance and magnitude of it. And then, you know, maybe walk out of that and be like, 
how, how can we stop this from ever happening again? <laughs> what can I do on a personal level to make sure we don't we don't do this? Because there's a lot of things happening right now uh, that you know are relevant uh, for that today. But I, ultimately, incredible cast, incredibly shot, incredible experience. One minor critique. I don't think it needed to be three hours long. I think it's an, a wonderful movie. And and if I were Christopher Nolan, I can see why he would put all this in there. But I do think you could have cut probably an hour out of either the beginning of it or the end of it and still made the statement that you wanted to make with all this. Um, but that is a minor critique for a movie that's three hours long. I only had to go to the bathroom one time. And when I came back, I was riveted all the rest of the way. So very good movie. Joe. Also, my first time on Nolan in Review. Yeah. Welcome, Welcome. Thank you. What a fun one. Um, I think riveting is like the perfect word. Uh, I think the biggest compliment I can give is that Christopher Nolan made me really invested in a story that before this, I just truly did not care about at all or didn't think I cared about. Uh, and I think the cast for this is just incredible across the board. Uh, Cillian Murphy, excellent. Robert Downey Jr., excellent. They do my, or this is my favorite kind of ensemble movie where for like the first, it seems like hour, hour and a half, every five minutes, you're like, oh, that guy's in this and oh, that guy's in this. Dude, when Josh Hartnett popped up, I was like, <laughs> yeah. what? Yeah. Josh Hartnett. And Dave like, DeHaan, I was like, okay. Right? Yeah. I know, it's crazy. And even the like, his, not second in command, but like the guy that he meets on the train at the beginning. Matt Damon? No. <laughs> The guy that like beats him weirdly, they like bond over both things. Oh, the guy, yeah, he was, he's, he's been in a bunch things of things. Yeah. I hate about oh, you. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah, like yeah, yeah. Joseph Gordon Levitt's little friend and yes. stuff like that. So. <laughs> and the Santa Claus? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, he's the elf. He's the main elf. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just so fun to Bernard. just be Bernard. Bernard, yeah. To constantly Bernard. be peppered with like all of these. And it's like, oh, that's the, a great performance. The president from uh, Scandal, Tony Goldwyn, who's incredible. Like, Perfect has the I love perfect. That that's your touchdown for Tony. I Golden. know it's not ghost. Mine is ghost. <laughs> <laughs> I just watched Scandal earlier this year, but he has like a, a, the perfect like tone of voice and cadence and acting ability for like political roles, and mm -hmm. I just think that he's so good in the little bits that we get in him. Um, I, it's crazy the way that Christopher Nolan is able to build tension. Like the middle act, or the second act, middle hour of this movie is so tense and i feel like i was reacting to a lot of things the same way that i do in scary movies mm. of just being like i can't watch this but i can't not watch this mm. and how do i contain that internally and i haven't felt like that in a non-thriller scary movie i don't know ever the way that i felt in this movie mm. um i disagree with you i think that the three-hour runtime really worked for me for it. yeah um i do think that it's crazy i was we always have to manage the bathroom in these like three hour movies. And I remember we got through, yeah, the first two hours and I asked him, I was like, how much longer do we have left? And it was like, Oh, we have an hour. Like, dang, yeah. this feels crazy, but it feels so, impossible. If, yeah. Like what possibly could we have to do for an hour? But I think it's equally as riveting as the first two hours and the buildup for all of that. Um, I am just like really constantly impressed by Christopher Nolan. Like, I think that they're on the list. I was looking at your guys' rankings. I think there's like two or three that I haven't seen, mm. but truly they're all, most of them, all but I just have one that I don't like. I, 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 was, <laughs> I was thinking, Joe, that like my biggest worry of it was that it, it was going to be more uh, biopic than Nolan artsiness. Yeah. And we got plenty of Nolan creativity and artsiness throughout that was like 
really impressive. And again, all the all the cutaways to those close up shots of the atoms and the noise that just like the sound design was just like so frenetic and a great way to kind of cause tension in the audience as well. And I, I thought they did such a great job. And the, the scenes where he's in the cockpit looking at the missiles flying, like all of that stuff is what I'm so happy was there because I thought this was going to get, I thought this was going to be just a lot more straightforward in ways that I wasn't really wanting mm. um, because I'm used to Nolan being this visionary that can do wild stuff, um, you know, practically, uh, especially hearing like, Hey, no CGI. Of course, there's going to be like compositing, and sure, we'll make those mountains in the background darker or whatever. But like, I was worried about hearing no CGI. Oh, damn! What's that going to do to like? How are we going to see the Nolan in this movie? And I think that there was plenty present uh, throughout its three-hour runtime. And yeah, it, it's so impressive. Tim, what were your thoughts? I mean, I'm right there with you. With uh, just jumping off of this point, like. It was that two-hour mark where all of a sudden it's like, hey, motherfuckers, surprise. It's a Nolan movie. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting the reveals. We're getting the twists. The music's playing. Like, dude, this was the plan all along. But it didn't feel weird. It felt earned, and it felt like we've the tension is built to this, this point beautifully. Right there with you on all this stuff. Like, this is a masterpiece of a film. It is far from my favorite Christopher Nolan film, but that's just because... I like cool, fun, nerdy twists shit. And stuff. Yeah. Like yeah, I feel movie. horrible leaving this, <laughs> and like that's not you know my favorite thing. I'm right there with Nick. I think that this is the type of required movie that like you need to just sit down and just watch it, and you're gonna be captivated. Like we've used words like captivated, riveted, like all of us, and it is so true. I have. It's rare, like especially in the IMAX uh, theater. Like I like to sit in the back, so you like see everything. So you see when anybody gets up to go to the bathroom, and like our IMAX in San Francisco. Like the seats are really close to each other, so there's a lot of the old school theater, like kind of like walking by. This is the least I've ever seen people go to the bathroom in a movie, Same. and it was a three hour fucking like quote unquote boring movie. That means it's not boring. That means that they did their job, and it is captivating. I was so shocked, I was so surprised, but they did it. And I think from the first shot to the last shot, I was just there. I'm kind of in the middle of Joey and Nick on like. I do think that a lot could have been cut, but I feel like them not cutting it and it being three hours is part of what makes it this like the, the I don't even want to say slow burn. It's just a burn. It's just a long burn. But epic. I feel like it's it's an epic. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that it it almost feels less like a movie to me and more like the highest profile HBO series just presented in one long uh, feature and that really worked for me. Like I, I, the entire time, like I feel like there was like very clear kind of points of, all right, cool. Now we're moving into this, this act, this act. Um, and it felt like arcs in a TV, in a season of TV show. And it worked so well, but uh, to Nick's talking about the the entertainment value, like not being there compared to a lot of the other uh, known features, um, which is very apt and fair for what this is. To me, the entertainment hundred percent came from what Joey was talking about the cast not only was every five minutes there some new cast member, and me not seeing the trailers or not seeing too much about this movie, I think added to this a lot. I've heard a lot of people are in it. I didn't know that half the people that were were. I'm not sure if some of these are like actual surprises people don't know about, um, which we've seen before in, in Nolan movies, like uh, Matt Damon being a big like whoa in Interstellar, right? But the entertainment to me was how I think, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong on this about anything. I think that every single character that came up wasn't just like, a, oh, this is cool. You're here. It's like, a, oh, wow, this is the best role you've ever fucking had. You were acting. 
acting, my mm, friend. Yeah. I feel like Florence Pugh might be the only one that I'm not saying she wasn't great in this. I'm just saying she's so great in so many things that I can't say this is definitively better like than a others. Out, yeah. But I think every other actor, I'm like Emily Blunt in the second half. Oh my god, just really bringing it. And like the, even people we know that could bring it just brought it that much more. But like Killian mm. Murphy. Man, Robert Downey Jr. is going to get talked about all the live long day, deservedly so, especially for someone we're so intimately familiar with being Iron Man. He was transformed. Like, that is just wild to me that somebody that we know so well can be this completely different uh, character. And even in this, seeing how much he changes was so impressive. But Killian Murphy, the amount of this film that's just him and him deciding saying things or not saying things, mm -hmm. but having to deal with it all, I... I'm so damn impressed with him. And I think what this movie does so well to me is every other minute, I'm questioning how I feel and how they're trying to make me feel mm. about, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Is he somewhere in between? Is there not an answer to this? And I think that that is what this movie did best is present the stuff without framing it wholeheartedly as anything it is more just presenting something that i'd be hard pressed to imagine people watching this movie and not walking out feeling like absolute shit and feeling like things are hopeless because that's how they are and i think that that shows the responsibility of decision and power and all the things you're doing but even that having that making calls is still the wrong call sometimes even if it's the right call that's such a nuanced like difficult thing to understand, but somehow they presented it so well through the use of Albert Einstein. <laughs> and that's the Nolan shit. The, yeah. When we get that final shot and it's color and we, we hear the conversation he had, oh, just what a beautiful yeah. bow to all of this of like, damn, that was something special we mm. just saw. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think the more important thing about it was that I was worried this was going to tread into... Uh, Oppenheimer uh, is the victim here. We need to feel sorry for this man 100% throughout. Like, it was a lot more gray, like you were just mentioning, um, because I know that, like, when I think of American Sniper and Chris Kyle and, like, how that, like, it's like, you're, you're, you're painting him Glorified. as, like, the, you're painting him as, like, the most sympathetic figure ever, and we have to feel sorry for this man when lots of lives were lost because of this man. Like, I was worried that we were going to tread into that territory of, like, making him the character that we had to really, really feel sorry for. Mm. And you really just kind of feel sorry about the whole world and the whole situation. <laughs> like, yeah. you feel like garbage about everything that's happening. And, and I think that it was framed in a way that kind of, like you mentioned it, hey, he's not bad, he's not good. We don't know if we're going to answer this problem right now, but we're going to hit you with a line at the end of this movie that's going to really make you question everything. And I, mean, I thought the, it was beautifully done. That line, like the thing about like triggering the chain reaction, and it's like they built it up in this movie and like the beautiful, scary as fuck imagery of the atmosphere on fire, right? Mm -hmm. But he's talking about AI. <laughs> like he's, yeah. he's, he's talking about the chain reaction that's led to where we are today. Yeah. It's like, God, man. Yeah, he's talking about the the arms race, the proliferation of like, you know, the military industrial complex, all these things that it's they all like, knew. I was want him to make a happen. Metal Gear movie. But that's why it's so interesting, right? And that's and that's where I think it's really smart. Yes. Like the Oppenheimer character being being as uh, in that gray area. This could have easily dipped in the hands of a lesser director or a lesser team. This could have been propaganda. This could have been yeah. something that just came off cheesy with an all star cast of, oh, now there's Emily Blunt. Oh, look, it's Matt Damon. Oh, is that Casey? See Affleck, that's but why instead I'm, they all. What's up? Well, I was gonna say that's why I'm so shocked about the budget. It's like 
is this just one of those things, Joe, where it's like, hey, it's a Nolan movie. You get paid yeah. whatever you want. Like, well, or, yeah. or you get paid whatever he's willing to pay you, you to be in this be movie. In you just want to be in this gigantic, massive Nolan movie because... You want to work with him. With the amount of stars that are in this movie, I'm shocked that it was $100 million because we hear movies of, hey, so-and-so got paid $18 million for that role. And it's like, there are so many notable actors that, granted, don't have a whole lot to say all the time. Uh, our boy Jack Quaid had about eight lines, maybe. He's beating those um, bongos, though. Rami Malek had about, you know, Five? 15 lines, maybe <laughs> oh, 10 lines. Well, yeah. near the end, there was a yeah. bit more, right? Bit but more, yeah. you see these uh, these gigantic stars that you can tell just want to be in this piece of art because of the person making it, you know? Even Florence Pugh has, like, a pretty small Relatively role. small yeah. role, yeah. Did you guys uh, see that, that article from last week with Matt Damon was talking with his wife, and he was basically like, they had negotiated that he was going to take a long time off. And he goes, cool. My one caveat, though, is if Christopher Nolan calls. And Christopher Nolan calls. <laughs> awesome. He's like, damn it. <laughs> so <laughs> damn cool. Uh, we're going to continue to keep talking about this movie. But real quick, let's take a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Liquid IV. Y'all know how much I love to stay hydrated, and Liquid IV makes it easier and better than ever to ensure that I'm always living my best, most hydrated life. And you can too. Liquid IV, the number one powered hydration brand in America, is now available in sugar-free with three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients for everyday wellness. Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone, and you can keep your daily routine exciting with three new flavors white peach green grape and lemon lime let me tell you the white peach is good it's real good we hear it kind of funny swear by this stuff one stick of liquid iv in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone real people real flavor real hydrating now sugar free grab your liquid iv hydration multiplayer sugar free in bulk nationwide at costco or get 20 percent off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code kind of funny at checkout that's 20 percent off anything you order when you use promo code kind of funny at liquidiv.com another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So this is a weird one to do plot for. So I don't know if you want to maybe just give the highlights overall of what this is. And I think we can just continue to keep talking about this because it's unlike this is not so much a movie as much as it's an experience. Yeah, there's not really a narrative back and forth as much as much as it is uh, sort of a biopic that jumps back and forth through a lot of different eras. That was really life. hard for me, like to figure out, especially in the beginning, like when like they do a good job of using like different styles and coloring. Yeah. To portray the different time periods. But I was just like, oh, man, like you, I, I have to concentrate as really hard on this movie. I needed them to say, well, Hitler's dead. To know, oh, that's where we're at. Like, where we are. like yeah. I needed uh, the explicit facts kind of yeah. uh, mentioned out loud because of the amount of times I'm saying, like, oh, his hair's shorter here. By the way, Killian Murphy, the thickest head of hair I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I, like, I, I don't know if I saw his scalp. I don't know if he has a scalp. I don't know what's underneath there. It's, it's wild because it is dense. he starts the movie off by talking about how, like, no light can escape a black hole. 
but even less light can escape his hair. <laughs> yeah. It's so dense. It's, so it's just dense. so dense. Uh, I, I forget where we start, but we're, we're, I'm going to jump around. We've got a lot of different scenes that we're setting up here, not the least of which is that we meet a young Kelly Murphy. Uh, actually, I think the first time we meet him where he's being interviewed by the, the committee for his... Uh, uh, his security clearance, which is a kangaroo court that we kind of catch on to very, very early. Uh, we also meet a young Oppenheimer as he's moving from America to Germany to study uh, quantum physics and quantum mechanics and all that jazz. He also meets uh, uh, Kenneth Branagh there, which is going to be a character that pops up a little bit later. Has a weird moment where he almost kills his professor. Yeah. Which I thought was an odd thing to include in the movie, but must have been something that he really copped to. Because why else would you put him putting cyanide in an apple? Which is wild. Yeah, that shit... Threw me off. Yeah. I just yeah. did not expect that. I was like, oh, shit. And again, <laughs> he's a bad guy. Like, I like that they yeah. present, at least in, in the terms of, like, how they're presenting it to me, where I was like, okay, cool. Like, that, we're not doing this glorification thing. Like, he's a bad yeah. dude. He's, and he's, they, but I think yeah. he shows his, forth. like, initial more, uh, moral struggle with things that you see throughout the rest Absolutely. of the Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Uh, we also meet Strauss here, who's played by Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. is uh, trying to get him to come and be the head of the department for his university, where Einstein uh, happens to reside. He feeds the ducks by the park. We get a great scene where he goes and talks to him, and we can we get the... Uh, Strauss thinks that uh, that was where Oppenheimer was turning Einstein against them, but in reality, they were having a the end of a conversation they would start earlier in their lives about uh, the computations of whether or not if they destroy, if they ignited the atomic bomb or dropped it rather, would that destroy the entire world? I love the lines where love is an interesting word for this, but I enjoyed the lines where he was like, "The chances of that happening are near zero. And everyone's reaction to near zero, zero. of is the atmosphere of the entire world going to catch on fire if this happens? Very, very fascinating. Um, uh, and Einstein walked away from that much like we walked out of the theater. Yep, 100%. <laughs> yeah. He was like, told the lines that were given to us at the end of, you know, I I think we did kind of start, I think we did catch, make the world catch on fire. And yeah, start we this, did destroy the world. Yeah, we start, we started the thing that the destroyed chain the world. God, the chain so reaction. Awesome. Very, very haunting. Very, very intense. Uh, from there, we kick over to Berkeley which I did not know, uh, he, he taught there. He was over at Berkeley where we get to meet Josh Hartnett. Now, Josh Hartnett coming back in my life twice this week. Oh, mm-hmm. you watch Black mm-hmm. Mirror? Watch Black Mirror for Josh Hartnett because yeah. he's, wow. he's in the thumb. And I'm like, I haven't watched an episode of Black Mirror in a long time. It's like, Josh Hartnett, Aaron Paul, Kate Mara? Yeah. Sign me up. What's going on here? Haven't finished the episode yet? It's horrifying. Just that far. Totally. Very, very good. I will Josh Hartnett? I have a theory about this. Ooh. Oh, please oh. tell me. Here's my here's my here's a conspiracy theory that I have. About He's been this. dead <laughs> the whole time. No, I, I don't know. Yeah. Why, I don't know why he left. He's bulking up, and I'm looking oh. at Josh Hartnett, and I'm thinking to myself, He's got some pretty big arms. He's MCU. getting pretty jacked. I'm just thinking. Wow. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with Josh Hartnett, but he would make a damn good superhero. He's an alternate universe Captain America. I mean, I'll tell you, his Sean Hunter hair in Oppenheimer, beautiful. I'm loving that shit. Yeah. That nice little little split going on. Yeah. It's so it was cute. Cool. Uh, Brings back a lot of Pearl Harbor vibes. Oh yeah, oh, which is weird that he was also in that. Yeah, yeah. That again, <laughs> you want to talk about a movie? 100. That is 100 uh, uh, the wrong, the wrong tone way and vibe. to do it. Yeah, so yeah. do that. That Pearl Harbor is a great juxtaposition of this because that is. Uh, uh, yeah, not great. But uh, from here we go over to Berkeley. We meet. Uh, there's a lot of themes introduced here, not the least of which is that uh, at the time when this was happening, this was pre World War uh, Two. Uh, the uh, communism was a big thing to talk about in in the world, and it had infiltrated America. There was a Communist Party of America that a lot of people were members of. Of course, this would go on to uh, lead a lot of people down a dark road when McCarthyism kicks in later in the 50s, uh, when there's witch hunts all over everywhere. If anyone was ever suspected of being a communist, you would get blacklisted across the board. Uh, Fucking insane! Like. There's so many things in history that you hear and you're like, that's fiction. But it's not. It really happened not that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. 
just wild. I yeah, don't know. That whole like, era and, is a, and like, No, I'm with you. Yeah. It, just like, like even in this movie, they like, deal with it where it's like there are people like just following people. Just random oh, people. Not, it's like Not people. The FBI is yeah, following yeah, them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but if Andy's following them, I'm like, hey, he ain't got shit. Yeah. Ain't got no, shit. What I'm saying is they're but following the FBI is random people. Oh, yeah. They're following the FBI yeah. following random people. Yeah. That was, that's if incredible. there was even a hint of communism. But a, it's, of a little stench around it. You know? But that's what's so fascinating about this time frame. That's what's so fascinating about setting this up, right? There's a moment where uh, obviously Matt Damon comes to to recruit him, right? I'll I'll skip around also here a little bit, but love Matt Damon. I mean, put Matt Damon in whatever. You can't you want. do wrong, man. You can't you can't man. do wrong. The mustache is all he working for me. built one time. He did. He was a little tiny guy in a bottle, too. <laughs> Remember that one? I guess he could do a little bit wrong. Oh, downsizing was awful. So, yeah. yeah, I recant that But statement. we bought a zoo. It was great. Mm. So. <laughs> oh, they bought one, not built one. Yeah, we didn't build one. They bought oh. pre existing. It's already prefab. <laughs> don't hurt me if you don't remember the movie, okay? My bad. <laughs> um, uh, fascinating here, of course, he meets the writer Chevalier. Uh, he meets uh, uh, Francis, uh, I'm sorry, Florence Pugh's character as well. Um, and they are they are part of the party. He helps uh, give some money to the Spanish Liberation Front through the Communist Party, but he is not. His brother is a card king member of the Communist, but he is not. He refuses to because he does not believe wholeheartedly in any dogmatic ideology. He is a scientist, and therefore he uh, likes to remain a little neutral, but, you know, explore his options, basically. And he's got the riz, man. Uh, he starts a, an affair with Florence Pugh. Uh, she does not like flowers, and she does not like Love him. Love this little Or she bit. does like him. We're not quite sure, but she, he's not what she's looking for. He knows that. Of course, uh, later he'll meet Emily Blunt's character, who is married. Was, uh, this is where we get the first drop of I Am Become Death of Story. Right. As they're reading Sanskrit, she pulls out a book, and she's like, what, do you, what, what is this? And he goes, well, it's Sanskrit. It's an ancient uh, Hindu uh, text. And she's like, can you read it? He's like, I'm learning Sanskrit, as he learned German and like... Or Dutch, rather. He learned Dutch yeah. in like six months or something yeah. like that. Six, is weeks. Bo- six weeks. Sorry, that's where he went. Not Germany, Dutch. That's where, because um, uh, Kenneth Branagh's character was Dutch. Uh, so he reads the famous quote now, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds, uh, which he was supposedly to have said after the, the first test at, in Los Alamos, uh, at the Trinity test, which, I mean, do we have to call it Trinity? Like, it's so scary. Everything they call all of these things. He's like, what are we going to call it? And he says something about the three-headed, the, the three-headed God or whatever, Trinity. I was like, Stop! Yeah, like, <laughs> it's too much. It's too on. freaking much. Yeah, I needed a knockless in this. Movie. I mean, there might as well have been one. Um, uh, from here, of course, Matt Damon shows up to recruit him, but he's he's worried uh, that he's got ties to the Communist Party. And again, to put it in context, during during this time, a lot of people. I'm sure everyone knows this. This is, this is world I history. Use a little refresher. Uh, the Soviet Union and uh, and the United States of America were allies during World War II, and we were we were fighting the Germans on two fronts. They were fighting from the the far east as we were as they were approaching. We were we were fighting, uh, you know, storming the beaches of Normandy on the west, and all of these things were happening as we as we kind of converted upon them. But we knew that whoever was, that if we won, there we go. The war, the Soviets were not going to be our allies forever, and we we had to keep an eye on that because the Soviet Union. We just knew they were going to be the next. They were a superpower, and once Germany was out of the equation, they were going to be a problem. And sure enough, you see uh, everything. And of course, anyone feel free to correct me on all these details if I'm wrong about this. This is just my very layman's understanding of World War II. Um, but after the war kicked over, that is exactly what happened. We ignited like a 40-year Cold War with the Soviets that was largely, uh, uh, you know, fueled by the arms race that Reagan would kick in later in life and then bankrupt the the Russians into basically bringing down the Berlin Wall and being like, we got to rethink ourselves here but it was a uh, scary times for everyone all and then, uh, but we, they were our allies young ocelot had the shot had uh, the shagohad in russia and big boss and naked snake were also 100 percent. all, there all those well. naked snake clothed snake yeah tall snake liquid I hate snake. that i know that stuff more than the real stuff yeah. like yeah. it's so not good there was a plasma snake 
plasma. Yeah, not a gas. He's kind of gaseous. Quasi gas. Anyway, so. uh, we we move right along here. Matt Damon comes to uh, eventually, of course, he, he knows that Oppenheimer is the guy to lead his team. We have interesting um, an interesting breakdown of how they're going to lead the teams in the four different cities and how it's all going to be connected with railroads. But compartmentalizing everything is the way you keep security. Uh, of course, Oppenheimer's like, sure, no problem. Here's what I think we should do: go to my favorite place on the planet, Los Alamos, New, New Mexico, Mexico, and build the town. That's creepy as shit. And I, love, I like the line, too, where someone's like, well, you might as well build a saloon because it looks like an old like Wild West oh, yeah. town. Uh, he recruits all of his homies. They build this very, very quickly. And off we go to the races. Um, I will say the one of the, there's two things that took me out of this movie, and they happen around this time in that. One is that Josh Peck shows up. <laughs> like, that yeah, was I mean, one it's hard to. One. He was great, though. He was. But him more than anyone else, I was like, you feel out of place in this no, cast. The guy that got me. It's the guy that was like his one of the three or four people that worked in the office at Wolf Wall Street. Oh, I don't know. It was like well Jonah Hill, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, and then the little dorky guy that had the wig. He was in like two scenes in this movie. Like, it's a Wolf Wall Street guy. <laughs> uh, sorry, I interrupted you. No, you're you. totally fine. The <laughs> other thing that is so just off-putting about this movie is that everybody around this time starts shortening his name to Oppie. Oppie. Which is... <laughs> It is such a serious movie and such an unserious nickname, like goofy sounding nickname. But see, to me, I loved that because that is the the going back to the gray area stuff and the the cult of personality side of this mm-hmm. all. And like you know, the oh, way the, boys. the way that they oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh the way that they they celebrate this guy and and, and make him the face of all of this yeah. is like, you know, that's the burden that he has to hold. And I feel like that the lightheartedness of it, it feels real. Like that's yeah. how the, the shit goes but it's like giving little cute names to good or bad people it's gonna happen when you have a group of people together you know um so yeah like as (laughs) off-putting as it was i feel like it really worked within the the narrative they were trying to build here and like that uneasiness where it's like like it felt uncomfortable to hear it a hundred percent i wanted to say also that this was despite how loud this movie was so loud this was uh i didn't have the same issues with audio mixing and like i still think dialogue was hard to hear in this like but no more than a lot of other movies i've seen recently in theaters and i think uh nolan kind of maybe righted the ship there where i think there could have been a lot of moments where the dialogue is getting completely drowned out by the just this this blast this thunderous blast of like we are hitting you in the face with sound Mm. because we want you to feel a certain way right now and uh, luckily, I didn't have that same dialogue issue that I had with uh, Dunkirk or Tenet or Interstellar. Me on super nerd audio shit. Like, this is easily the best mixed Nolan movie uh, that I've seen in a theater. I've seen pretty much every Nolan movie in this exact same auditorium. So it's like I, it's a one-to-one reference. The unfortunate thing for this movie, a bunch of the center speakers were clearly blown. Yeah. So when things would that? like... It would, I think that was the... Oh, I don't think I, that yeah. the movie's mixing problems were bad. I... I I don't know, but there was it a, sounded well mixed. There were certain points of dialogue when it clip. was a little too loud. It would clip. I was like, fuck, yeah, no. I, yeah, I heard uh, there was a moment, like, a legitimate kind of, want to put a shit around the world, where, like, Robert Downey Jr. yells something, and it, like, kind of, like, you know, yeah. broke through that speaker. I was like, ugh, Jesus. I feel like, I just, I don't know this for sure. I'm just theorizing, but I'm pretty sure Nolan just does not like ADR. I think he just likes to try and make the audio in the scene work as much as possible, and sometimes I just don't think that works. Like, there's a couple sequences when they're walking at the beginning of the movie. I'm like, what? What are we talking about? 
Like you, their footsteps were like louder than their voice, and I was like, "Can't just get them eating." <laughs> they're like, "What do you say?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. For me, I, I, I earlier talked about subtitles, Andy. I'm so I love subtitles always, but mainly because I want names and I want to be able to put the stuff. I could hear what was say, being said. I just wish I understood who was saying it. Yeah. Uh, we come back and we get we get the team together. I want to give a shout out shout out to uh, Benny Safty. Are you guys? He was great. He was great. great. Yeah. Are you familiar with the Safi mm-hmm. brothers? Yeah. I mean, he was great. He's he's amazing in this and a very very did an accent and I was like, yeah, didn't take me out of the movie. Good for you. Initially, <laughs> initially, I was telling Barrett that we get a a quick glimpse at him. Very very sweaty man, and he's very sweaty the whole movie. By the way. Yeah, he's like the Rock in, yeah. in Fast Five. Initially, Alec Baldwin's uh, scale. How sweaty is he? Mm. Uh, I'd say about sixty percent. I would say three there. departeds. <laughs> oh, that's a lot. Uh, a lot if yeah. we we saw that just that image of him right there, if you, I I'll, I what I saw was the lips, and I thought, oh, Tom Hardy's wearing like prosthetics mm-hmm. or something. Oh, you thought it was like a penguin, like where it's that where it's, yeah, yeah. What's his name in the penguin costume? Yeah, I yeah. thought it was some sort of prosthetic situation. Uh, but then immediately I was like, oh, never mind, it's not him. It doesn't look like him. But I just saw the lips, Got the mm. same sort of big luscious lips. Absolutely, Tom, Tom Hardy, Hardy has those big lips. kissable lips. Let me tell you one. Mm-hmm. This went off the rails. Uh, I love the discussion here where he brings up the two jars and he's like, this is how much plutonium we'll have to so good. Uh, refine for both of the bombs that we're building. Uh, do you guys know, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think these were this was Fat Man and Little Boy, the two bombs that they yeah. dropped. Yeah. Mm. So as you can see, which was represented and how big one was and how small the other one was. And this is exactly what I was talking about, about give us stupid idiots something to look at to understand what's happening. Yeah, drop drop it in there. Perfect visual storytelling of being like, here's where we're at in, in, in this bomb development. And you're like, that's going to take forever. And you're right. It takes two years and $2 billion, which in 1945 was a lot of fucking money. Oh, yeah. And, and on top of that, I feel like they did a really good job of like setting the stage, of explaining the, the marbles and all that. But then the characters, their wins and losses of seeing how many they're putting in. Like there was that one part, I forget who it was, but walks by, like puts a couple in. And then starts putting more and more. Yeah. And you just see in the face the like, yo, let's oh, fucking yeah. go. And it's like, this is cool, man. Um, they do have the conversation here about the H-bomb versus the atomic bomb, which is, that's a this particular area I don't know anything about. I thought they were the same thing. I was like, isn't that the same thing? But I guess a hydrogen bomb and an atomic bomb are a completely different species of bombs. The hydrogen bomb is bigger. And that would be the one that uh, Oppenheimer was opposed to for either various political reasons or wanted to share that information with the Soviets. And of course, unfortunately, that ends up getting leaked to the Soviets. And that becomes the main uh, source of trauma or drama, rather, between Strauss uh, and the politicians and, uh, and Oppenheimer. Tim Gettys. Major, major ignorance here. Yeah. Kevin, maybe you need to step in for this one. Nick, you might have this. Sure. Science, science, science with Kev. I'm Kevin. The hydrogen bomb. They they talk about it in this. They keep teasing it, and like, is it has it ever happened in real life? I mean, I assume as much. I don't think we've ever used it, but like, I but think we have it. There's been like tests and stuff, and it's like, yep, there it is. I mean, yeah. I, at this point, sixty, seventy years later, what are, what are you, seventy years later? Yeah, um, we've probably developed every type of nuclear weapon that you possibly could think of. Uh, but I mean, you see that also in the images. Like, there's a couple images at the very beginning of this movie of the ICBMs just all going up into the, mm. into the like. You just see the, the yeah. trails of them, yeah, and all that stuff is just so incredibly Dude. like haunting that's, and telling of what's about to come. My gosh, just the intro shots in IMAX of just atmosphere yeah. and sky and landscape. God damn, those were, mm. those were incredible just by themselves. Has a hydrogen bomb ever been used? A hydrogen bomb has never been used in battle by any country, but 
Uh, experts say that it has the power to wipe out entire cities and kill significantly more people than the already powerful atomic bomb, which the U.S. dropped in Japan during World War II, killing tens of thousands of people. So yeah, we've never used one, but presumably we have, they've, they figured it out. Because that was the thing, too. Remember, they, they had that interesting conversation. Again, the science goes over my head. He's like, why don't we just do the H-bomb? And he goes, well, in order to do the H-bomb, we have to, like, refine or do something with something, it's, something. We'd have to create the atomic bomb, right? What did he say, Kevin? They, they have to use deuterium, which is, like, hydrogen with an extra uh, hydrogen isotope, I think, mm-hmm. and essentially compress the core uh, in a more dramatic a way. And they essentially, uh, I think, was it Tuller? The uh, Safdie's character yeah. Yeah. is is like, well, we it, like you Tell can it. do that with with an atomic bomb, essentially. And they're like, all right, well, we have to figure out that. We'll be doing it anyway. Bomb. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, mm-hmm. and, but I love that scene too because he's like, and how do we do that? And he's like, well, you'd have to make the atomic bomb. And he's like, cool. So we have to make the atomic bomb yeah. first. Let's come back to this. Um, they pick their site for the dig. Uh, they start figuring that out. Uh, a lot, we we have we go back and forth between the ballroom scene where we're talking about like who's the who's the bad guy. It ends up being the the German who was British, who I think had the best line in the entire movie. It was like, "How long have you been British for?" He goes, "Since Hitler decided I'm not German," mm-hmm. which was really really interesting and, and sad. Uh, of course, he ends up being supposedly being accused of being a Soviet spy. I'm not sure if that person was actually the person that leaked all this information, but we get they they get radiation tests that the Soviets are working on something that's that's atomic, and so and a lot of that stuff had to have come from them because of specific science that they had developed that they they can see that the Russians have, and there's no way the Russians could have caught up that well. What's incredible is when they talk about how. This whole thing was kicked off by the fact that the Germans were developing this technology and had an 18-month start. And a lot of people don't realize just how technically advanced and how farther along their army was than, than every other army. So it's terrifying to think that if, if the events hadn't transpired the yeah. way they were, that Hitler could have, A, won the war, and B, started nuking all of his enemies, including us at some point. It would have been crazy. Yeah, it's man. wild. Scary um, shit. As and, develop- and a wild line there of, uh, you know, back and forth between... Uh, Matt Damon and uh, Killing Murphy is Oppenheimer, where he says, "Well, how do we, how do we catch up?" And he says, "Anti-Semitism." Yeah. And he says, "I'm sorry, what?" <laughs> and he's like, "We have to hope that because of the German scientists, that uh, there are a lot of Jewish, Jewish people in yeah. the Ger- in the German scientist sort of regime or whatever. We have to hope that Hitler is so anti-Semitic and he has so much hate in his heart that he." You know, kind Won't of like stops their studies yeah. and doesn't like fund them enough or whatever. And like, that sequence enough was like, God damn, man, mm. I'm learning so much in this movie that I didn't fucking remember anything from school. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's absolutely wild. Uh, of course, somewhere along here, uh, Hitler actually loses the war as they're in development before the Trinity test kicks off, uh, and which begs the question and starts starts really getting into the moral like fiber of what this movie is about. We have that great scene where I forget her name, but she was in Jud- Dread 3D. Um, she plays one. You know what I'm talking about? I, I, Olivia, I, Olivia Thurl, Thurlman or something no, like that. No, I, I don't know. Uh, she's she like came, the one female physicist. Yeah, she came in. She came one. in. And she's oh, like, this yeah. guy's gonna turn me away because I can't type. And he's like, you don't have to type. She's like, I didn't learn that when I was studying like chem- chemistry at Berkeley or whatever it is. She, they just have that great scene where they're talking about like um, Olivia Thurlby. Yeah, that's her name. Oh, Go yeah, watch Dread 3D. Dude. It was awesome. Dude, yeah, yeah. Uh, she's doing an interview for it. This is Dread. this is the question that. That is posed in the movie is like should they what should they ever use this should they continue now that the war is over should they continue developing this and of course Oppenheimer knows that the second it was put into the world that this thing could possibly exist it was going to be a race to see who could do it first little did he know that it was going to be no matter what happened because I think they have that great line with the Soviets too where he's like well they're not Truman's like they're not going to do that they don't have any resources and he's just like 
Yeah, they are. They have to. They don't have a choice. I know. Because yeah. if we have it, they have to have they it. Have basic have human it. survival, like nature. Of it, Our enemies have a spear. I need a gun. They got a gun. I need a howitzer. It's, it's just that escalation of all these things that we in- inevitably saw throughout the eras of you, you skip to the 80s and you're seeing missile silos everywhere with, with uh, intercontinental ballistic nuclear missiles. Totally. And, it, you know, it's something that going back to, to Nolan's strengths as a writer and a storyteller, like this is the, the same concept of The End of Batman Begins where he's – to, uh, talking to Batman about this guy that dresses like a clown. Mm-hmm. And it's like escalation. we start the escalation, all that stuff. And that is obviously this the the value of superheroes is able to tell complex stories using these like fun characters. But for him to now take all of that and apply it to this this real thing and like like what that's all based on, I just thought they did such a great job with it and keeping with the tone of like not sensationalizing any of this and not making it too movie-esque. Um the the way that like Hitler dies off screen like it's not this like epic moment like we don't get a Hitler cameo like it, they don't do that and I thought that that was like such a wise call and I feel was very 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 in um, service of the story that they're telling here and keeping the focus on these scientists and they just get this information and have to deal with like okay so do we need to keep doing this mm-hmm. I mean we do and that that conversation I think was so much more powerful without the like gimmick gimmick and like i don't even want to call it a gimmick because those things happened right well i think mm-hmm. it could have been cheap i think it could yes. have felt cheap yes yeah. i thought they did a really good job handling that and, and i think it was made even stronger by the fact like you know again just sort of delivered off screen or not off screen but hitler dies off screen we're delivered that line of well hitler's dead and we're still kind of studying here we're still here in los alamos and then to get that moment of you know, we'll get to it later or whatever, but after they have the successful tests or whatever and they have uh, the, the quote-unquote successful bombings and him being up there going, just wish we could, wish we had the bombs when Germany was, you know, like, I think all of that sort of lends back to, you know, that feeling of, you know, wow, we really didn't need to do what we did. Yeah. <laughs> and it, and it, I think it adds to sort of, the uh the it really puts you in the headspace of oppenheimer during those moments of like god damn it right now he is trying to be this leader and he just is trying to he's just trying to survive mentally because you are watching him every i feel like every once in a while we would cut to him and it was like he's break mid breakdown oh for sure yeah <laughs> oh i mean that scene was beautifully done right that you want to talk about like sound design that should win an academy award when they all like when they just drop moments of sound out of it so everyone stands up you can't hear them and you just hear like their feet shuffling, but they're like screaming. And then you look over and someone's crying just for a second. All of that stuff was just so incredibly well done. I mean, dude, like, yeah, the sound design in this movie needs to win so many awards. It's and it's going to. Yeah. But um, I thought that that scene was so brilliantly done. Uh, we'll talk more about sound later when it comes to the, the, the bomb itself and all that. But the the kind of like the dun 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 of people like, like stomping their feet on the um, uh, bleachers and, and, and things like that. I, as tense as that was and scary as it felt and intimate and close and claustrophobic, like it sounded claustrophobic yeah. and it was backed up with the visuals. But the fact that we've heard that sound for two hours before this in the movie where they were just Didn't know what peppering it, it in yeah. and we don't know what it is and they play that same sound off like it could be a slowed down version of the ticking clock, but they also play it like it's the train tracks that they're uh, putting the bomb on and, mm-hmm. and talking about all that stuff. And I just feel like the the multi-use of that sound and then the reveal of what it is, oh my God, yeah. the storytelling of the sound design alone was like, I, 
I don't know that I've ever seen anything like that. That was so, like, wh- this is a masterpiece. This is mm-hmm. fucking art at its best. Uh, we're not quite there yet, though, of course. We have to get to the of course, the, the climax of this movie, which happens two hours in, uh, where they're like, we need to know if this thing's going to work. And so they set up the, the Trinity test, which is where they're going to drop their first atomic bomb. Uh, they're taking bets, as you would if you were incredibly nervous and terrified. And they're joking around about, and someone has a side bet on that whole, uh, is it going to ignite the entire world thing? And Matt Damon's like, hey, what did he mean by that? He goes, oh, we, we thought there was a near zero chance that we might destroy the entire world. And he's like, is there? <laughs> um, I bet my first, I bet my well, however many months paycheck or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. Um, there were some moments here that I did feel like were a little movie-esque with Matt Damon. And I this probably comes from ignorance. But like, I was a little lost on the like him being like we got to do this we got to do this test as soon as we can get it out there it's like you know we're dealing with the fucking bomb here man like yeah. maybe slow down just a bit i know that there was the timeline of like we got to get to russia we got to tell the president xyz and like we yeah. need to prove this first but like there was just something i don't know i feel like there was uh, not enough fear about the people that were directly around this untested bomb <laughs> but well they did i mean historically they just didn't know that like there's there's te- there's stories of when they tested it in the ocean and they had like they, te- they, te- they did bomb tests in the ocean, and, the- and you see, like, battleships that are, like, a mile away, and all those guys got, like, horrible radiation poisoning and things like that. So they just that- – that's that's another theme in the movie where it's, like, Josh Hartnett even talks about it. He was like, oh, we did that thing. The theory. Like, what are you talking about? Like, theory versus, yeah. you know, practice of, of doing something. You just no- – we'll never know. But, man, how – wild is it where they're like oh here's your little glass you look through and by the way look that way and then when you see the flash you can look back at it it's like knowing what we know now i'll be like i'll be in the next state that's over. what i'm yeah. saying yeah you put a Just camera up i'll be watching from yeah to absorb the impact yeah it's wild right i think they were anything on the mattress so they didn't get like blown back yeah yeah. yeah 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 um and then oppenheimer like she's like sitting in his bunker and the, and having the glasses and all that stuff and then people just watching like literally watching this like it's going to be a fireworks display Our boy jack quaid jack quaid yeah. with the bongos uh <laughs> he best line in the movie where uh benny's putting on the the uv screen he's like what about that he goes no taps the windshield glasses like that'll filter out the uv which i'm like how would you know? you're a scientist yeah you would probably know that that makes a lot of sense i didn't know glass did that but that's and then cool. he said what's gonna block the glass yeah yeah that was crazy. <laughs> oh, crashing in your call. face Good call. Um, and yeah, Joey mentioned earlier about Christopher Nolan building tension very, very well. I think this movie's special for that. Not because it builds tension on whether or not the bomb's going to work. We know the bomb works. Mm-hmm. If you know history, you know at some point they detonate this damn bomb. You know, it. it's the it's the tension that comes from the fact that you don't want it to work. You want these people to fail. You don't want history to have been what it was, and it is, and it's faded. And that's what you feel. That's what you felt this entire movie leading up to this point, whether you knew it or not. Right. Even Oppenheimer knew it. It was like, shit, I know. He saw exactly what was going to happen for the rest of the world, like when they asked him to do this project. The only other director I feel like that does this is James Cameron Titanic, where it's like you every it's historical, you know what the ending is, but you're like hoping and wishing. Yeah, totally. But the difference is, and I'm so right there with you, obviously, on that, like that is an apt comparison. But they had to make that a romance to mm-hmm. make us want the disaster to not happen. I mean, of course, we don't want the people to die and all that. Yeah. But it's like they had to, like, make up this fantastical story where we're <laughs> rooting for them. And, like, right. maybe they'll get away. Maybe yeah, it'll work. Yeah. Whereas with this, it's like we, we're just hoping it doesn't happen. <laughs> and it, Like the soul of humanity. There's no romance in this movie. I mean, there, you know, there's, there's, no, there, there's there, romantic yeah. characters. But, I mean, like, there, it's not like a romantic plot. It's not like. Not even barely a subplot. There's not characters you're rooting for. Yeah. Well, it's not, but it's not a romantic plot in that. Like, I mean, there's there's the Kitty plot, but there's also the Florence P plot where she is either commits suicide and or is killed. 
by the FBI? Because there's a moment it's, where someone, where someone see gloves. There's black hands. gloves, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I thought that that was... His imagination. He's imagining what I happened. I thought that was him that. imagining what the possibilities could have been. Yeah, because yeah, she. Had... I think it was he was trying to not blame himself because mm, it was yeah. like if it if she did kill herself, it like he was like I did it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but all those aren't necessarily romantic subplots. They just sort of go to back up the old the, the who Oppenheimer was, and and unfortunately the the many different sins that he has committed in his past to lead him toward his ultimate ruination, which we'll see uh, in the third act of this movie. But either way, we got to talk about. Again, you want to talk about the sound design for the bomb. This thing, I'm thinking this thing's going to blow your ears out, and it's dead silent. Oh, my God. You just hear dude. the breathing. Well, I mean, they, they teased us in many moments with showing the, with the, the delayed then, explosion yeah. because of the distance or whatever, and I thought that stuff was always done really well, and you know that they're much further away this time, and we're going to hear that blast at one point, Yeah, but, for, but they let you sit in that silence with just the close-up breath of Killian Murphy hearing the vibrations in his breath because of how nervous all these people are and you just you just sat there in this theater silent listening to a man breathing knowing that this thing worked and this thing is going to work again in some other point and then of course moments later the shockwave hits and that, of course, oh. is metaphorical for the shockwave that's about to hit the entire world and now nothing will ever be the same again. And you see it with everyone. It's like pe some people are like, we did it. And then once the blast hits, they're like, oh, shit. Like, it's almost as if the magnitude of everything they had done for the last few years just came crashing back in on them, which very much it did. Um, but either way, it is a success. And now the question is, well, we can't use it against Germany. What do we do? Do we use it? We have to use it against Japan to end the war because, quote, the Japanese will never give up the war. This is a... I assume a very much debated uh, thing throughout the history of our of our countries, our two countries, as to whether or not Japan really would have dug in that hard, or if eventually we could have gotten them to give up a different way, uh, because Germany was already out of the war, but the Pacific campaign was still was still happening. But either way, Truman decided to drop not one but two bombs uh, yeah, on was, Hiroshima uh, and Nagasaki. We will lose a lot of troops. Kind of doing they'll lose a lot of troops. We'll lose a lot there. of troops. Yeah, right there, there will be a lot of dead people. This will save a lot of lives. Right, um, but it's this is to me the the most fascinating debate of the entire movie in that should, I mean, we're not going to get into it now. The concept of, did we drop it because we really did think it was the best thing to end the war or realistically, did we drop it because we wanted to show the show the Soviets who we knew were going to be our main enemy that we had this big, bad power that, that Truman thought they would never get. Um, and that scene is obviously mirrored when Oppenheimer gets called in to be thanked by Truman played by Gary Oldman, who I didn't know was in this movie. Yeah. God. And Oppenheimer has that great line where he's like, I have blood on my hands. And Truman just takes out his handkerchief, God, hands it to him, bitch, dude. and tells him, and you see it for one moment where he's like, do you think the people in Nagasaki give a shit who made the bomb or who dropped it? He's like, and then he's like, never let that motherfucker back in this place ever again. Cry baby, yeah. But you see it for a moment where he's like, Gary Oldman has a great moment where he's like, you think you got blood on your hands? I'm the one that or, like pushed the button. Like, you made the thing, but I'm the one that ultimately decided to use it, so I got the blood on my hands for the rest of my life. Great riveting scene. Mm. Um, as to, but And it's out, and it's there. Uh, and then we start sort of the third act of this movie, I would say. I mean, we don't, again, in the same way we don't see Hitler, we don't see the bombing. No. And, like, nor do the, we need to. We, no, see, we, see, we see Oppenheimer, again, another telling moment for him. Once the bombs are loaded and it's done, he realizes for that, he has that moment of realizing, oh, no, I'm out. I'm no longer the guy. It happened and, so 
fast. I loved that. I love how it's like they do the test and it's literally like, all right, cool, we're passing it on. And then they're like, peace, you're gut. We don't need you anymore. We're done. And then all of a sudden it happens. And I'm like, that it just adds to the tension and the frenetic pacing of the movie, but also like the events of like, that's how quick this superpower is out of the hands of the creator, of the yeah. people that actually understand it. And it's now in the hands of people that are ready to use it. Like, that's so scary. And that was, uh, I think, echoed and mirrored right near the beginning of the movie when Oppenheimer's very confident about his place in all of this, and I'm a genius, and, and uh, I run this place. I run Los Alamos, and saying, like, they need us. And I forgot who he's talking to, but he says... Yeah, end. but until they don't, and yeah. holy shit, like. But then it's then it's off. And that's the exactly con- how it worked out, you know. Yep. But it didn't because there's the conversation where he's like, "So what are we going to do with Los Alamos now?" And he's like, "We'll give it back to the the Native Americans, basically. It's, it's their land anyway." And he goes, "Give it back." Before you die, we got to build this shit out. Yeah. We're about to we're about to kick out more of these if things. You said we, the Soviets are going to build against us. And yeah, we got to keep we got to build against them, right? And it's, you're like, ah, oh, here we go. This mm. is it. Uh, but we also get now, now we get into these like little mi- minor courtroom scenes that are orchestrated by Strauss. Well, um, first we, I mean, we get the success story in quotes of the father of the atomic bomb, you know, time it, magazine. No, but it's, it's, it's him delivering his speech, speech to right. everybody there at Los Alamos, uh, with those sort of very haunting sounds of everybody cheering. And then those practical effects of behind Oppenheimer, the wall is shaking and there's a blast outside. So like badass. all that stuff was done. So I think kind of just perfectly, you know? Yeah. I mean, we already talked about the, the sound design of that scene and all of it, but like this scene is like going to go down in history as just one of the all timers. Yeah, like, that's where I went to the bathroom. Oh, I'm joking. <laughs> oh. It's, oh my God. It, it, it's absolutely wild. Like they, the way that they, they played with the reality versus what he's thinking about. I saw the tail end of it going back and forth between the two and where it starts and ends like him being out there in this very church looking setting mm-hmm. is obviously there's adding a lot of, of, of that there that it just adds this uneasy feeling him there celebrating, but you could tell he doesn't want to celebrate with both, both what he's saying, how he's saying it, how he's reacting to it, the practical wall shaking, all that stuff, but him looking out into the crowd, the way that they cut out any sounds that weren't just like, the the stepping of stuff it was very uh like i mean very eerie like, i don't know any other yeah, way to put it eerie. um but he'd be looking around and seeing people burning or like stepping on uh just charred, charred corpses and yeah. all this stuff that obviously that wasn't real that wasn't there and then you see people like kissing and making out celebrating but then you also see people crying and the way that they blended this is the reality and then this is clearly not reality this is just what he's thinking about but then he goes outside and the guy throws up and yeah. it's like that's real yeah like, I loved that, like, balance between, oh, my God, he's not just seeing this. Those people are being so affected by this that they're physically throwing up because they know what they did. Yeah. They know that the blood is on their hands with all this. It's like, oh, my God, Nolan, yeah. you did it here. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah and I think all the visuals there were just so perfectly done. We get that big blinding white light as well. And then, yeah, you mentioned the lady in the front row and her skin is being, she's clapping along and her skin is just being burned Torn off. off and like, oh, my gosh. Very, very uh, terrifying and, and, and well done scene. Uh, from there, uh, now we really kick off these the, the 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 juxtaposition between the security clearance meeting, which Strauss has orchestrated, uh, so that Oppenheimer can lose his security clearance and then basically be discredited and disgraced, so that he can now he he doesn't want him to comment or be a part of what he knows is coming next, which is going to be this massive arms race 
and this thing that, you know, he doesn't want him talking at all about being the atomic guy anymore. He wants to discredit him. Uh, so this is the point in the movie that it turns into Christopher Nolan, yeah, baby. This is and we start Nolan getting these like, hey, all those cameo characters that you thought were cameo mm-hmm. characters throughout the movie, nah, motherfuckers. They've been pulling the strings the whole time. Robert Downey Jr. has a plan, and here's the plan. And they did the Iron Man 3 thing of like, hey, remember that scene? Nope. Actually, if you look over here, this guy was there the whole time. Mm-hmm. And it could have been corny and not worked, and it was riveting and it just added so much context and layers to everything we'd seen before it and it answered the question we were all asking of how the fuck is there an hour left in this movie Mm -hmm. beautifully uh we go back and forth between that and the other scene with great actors Uh, i think jason clark is the guy's name from terminator he was excellent he's great he's the main prosecutor here uh this is a kangaroo court they don't even let the guy that his uh, the the defense attorney see any of the information that's happening they're totally getting the wrong rounds it's not conviction it's What's the word? It's not declassification. Uh, it's he, yeah. Uh, well, he'll lose the security clearance, yeah. right? He'll be basically like he won't have his uh, denial. Yeah. Um, Deconsecrated. Uh, of course, uh, they put him through the ringer. They make him confess to his affair with Florence Pugh. Uh, Emily Blunt has a great scene where they're like, "You're gonna, we're gonna make her." sort of testify, I guess, and she kind of gives it back to him for a little bit. This, uh, if I'm being honest, after Emily Blunt did her thing, I went to the bathroom here because I was like. This scene's getting a little long, and it's very intense, and they're talking about a lot of characters and a lot of moments and a lot of things that I don't think we need. Because the point of the scene was really to jam at home that they were they were screwing him. I think we got there with minute 10. At minute 30, I was like, we could have cut a little bit of this out, and I think it would have still had the same impact. Um, and added it maybe to the, the Senate commission, because uh, Strauss is trying to become a cabinet member. He's trying to be confirmed to be a part of a cabinet for, I think, Eisenhower. Um, I would have liked that fleshed out a little bit more because to me that kind of felt like the Alden uh, Ehrenreich character was just kind of thrown in there and be like, hey, see, I got you or whatever. <laughs> that, that, he was the one character that I felt was like, oh, this takes me out of it just a little bit because he just exists to be like, gotcha. And you're like, well, who are you? What, what, what was the point of this character at all? He threw me off so much because most of the scenes he's in are black and white. So it's yeah. like a little bit, I was like. Is, is that, that Leonardo DiCaprio? No, like, that doesn't right. make no. any no. sense at all. Mm-hmm. But I was like, it looks like it's slightly de aged, but I'm like, I don't think no one would do that. And then eventually I was like, it's Han fucking solo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the end of this, I did of really course, like Matt Damon's line in this whole thing where they ask him, like, <clears throat> I don't remember what the question is exactly, but would like, you, do uh, you hold him accountable in some, or would you recommend him? And he says no. And then you see the reaction to it, and he's like, but that's all of them. Like, it's very clear. This is the gray area of like the rules that we played by at that point are different than the yeah. rules we're playing by now. And like, it's kind of, it's unfair to hold them to these standards when we're moving the goal. Yeah. Forward. He made it clear that like, well, all of that was happening before this act took place, before yeah. we put in the, whatever nuclear atomic arms act of 19, whatever the hell, the pepperoni diplomacy act yep. of, of Mons, 2019. Mons. Like, yeah, I really enjoyed that line of dialogue, but like they didn't, they didn't care. Like yeah, that's, care, yeah. They, they, they all they heard was that first piece of dialogue. Like, no, I would not. Uh, I would not recommend him. And then, but I wouldn't recommend any of him. And you cut back to him. And he's like, don't give a shit, man. Like, yeah. You said all we needed to. to but you you see the politics behind it too, right? You see that everyone's like, oh, I know where this is going. And it's all like, about the game and hype. Why it. why bother throwing him under the bus when he's already firmly under the bus? Like, I'll say he saves his career basically by being like, I'm not going to stand up for him. But tries to clarify at the end there. Good good on Matt Damon. Um, we it's do- interesting too that Josh Hartnett had that moment where he Walked saw in. them yeah. and then turned around. Yeah. Oh, see, I Out missed that. Everyone. That's when I went to the restroom. Oh yeah, there it's uh, 
Bernard. Oppenheimer and Bernard, yeah, in the hallway. <laughs> well, Bernard. He, uh, had, he had gotten lied to, right? Well, not lied to, but, like, he was essentially told by uh, the Strauss, hey, this guy, uh, or Oppenheimer hooked up with this dude's wife, and eventually that's the reason the guy died. Yeah. Mm. And then Oppenheimer jokingly is like, he never found out about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't die of a broken heart because he never knew. Yeah. 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 Dang. What a okay. per- perfectly, yeah. like, stoically delivered line by... Um, Killian Murphy. I'll be. Whereas we process, uh, they obviously the, the court doesn't go well. He gets de- he gets his security clearance revoked and basically is 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 gone now. He's out of the public eye and, and they're like you're, you're you're done. He's he's been uh, ousted from the community. Uh, as Do you have any ties with the Communist Party? Um, like, just leave me alone, bro. Yeah, <laughs> right. that's uh, just as Strauss is supposed to be confirmed, but then Remy Malek's character comes in and basically says, "Yo." He did all this to Oppenheimer. We don't. The scientific community is not like this. Uh, shout out to Matthew Modine. Also had a great scene yeah. in amongst here as well. Um, and basically, Strauss is like, "Damn it! Didn't think it was going to happen." He gets. Uh, he does not make it to the cabinet. He unfortunately is uh, is, is is ousted as well. And so both men have. Uh, I, what's up? But the moment when his aide walks in and he's like, "Do we have the votes or not?" And he's like, "Yeah, it looks like you're going to just squeak by, but you're going to win." And he's like, "All right, call the press." Yeah. yeah. And he does not make it he by because JF it by. Kennedy didn't like Dude, what he did. <laughs> what a fucking name drop! What, yeah. what a reveal! Young, yeah. young senator from Massachusetts, what's his name? Uh, Kennedy something. Yeah. Yeah. Robert. Yeah. God damn. JF, yeah, JFK. Uh, so from there, of course, uh, Strauss talks about, and the entire time Strauss is talking about, like the basically that was the, like oh, I just, the really source quick, of his beef. That was just like. The corniest moment you could have had, but it was still awesome. 100%. Yeah. That, that was like the, oh, his name was Nick Fury. Or yeah. Like that sort of thing. There's, there's two moments. There's this, and then way earlier in the movie, uh, when, when they first get to uh, Alamos, he's all like wearing like military <laughs> outfit. And then they're like, uh, like, dude, you look ridiculous. Like, come on, don't do that shit. And then they be who you me, are. Be who you are. They give him the hero edit. Like, the music kicks in, and we get the shots of like all of Oppenheimer's different, like, like fuck, he's putting on his jacket and shit, yeah. putting on the hat. The hat. It's like, and the pipe. <laughs> so fucking funny, man. So, Have you told the story about uh indiana jones and your nephew <laughs> <laughs> yeah we were at the at the universal um tour the universal studios tour and uh we had just riot, uh gotten on the indiana jones ride the day before my nieces and nephew had no idea who indiana jones was uh but now they knew because we rode the ride and the next day we're on the universal studios tour and big poster of Oppenheimer. my nephew's like oh indiana jones and I was like, no, that's not, <laughs> that's not it. Slightly different. He's like, oh, the hat. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, yeah, yeah not no. the same guy. Um, <laughs> right before Strauss is ousted, uh, he uh, he tell, reveals the source of his beef with Oppenheimer. One was like a, a hearing where Oppenheimer talked about isotopes. isotopes. And he was like, that's silly. And he's dumb. And he doesn't know shit about isotopes. Uh, and then the other, of course, was he thinks that uh, he, that uh, Oppenheimer turned um, Einstein against him during that conversation. Of course, we go over to the conversation. And it was anything but uh, Einstein is talking to him about him. He's like, they're going to throw you a party one day when all this is over. And they're going to they're going to thank you and they're going to forgive you. But they're not really it's not really about you. It's about them. It's about basically them like trying to assuage their own guilt. And they're going to give you awards and tell you everything's great because they don't want. Um, so let's move another. I figured that was going to be the case. <laughs> yes. Um <laughs> They don't, you know, they they don't want to deal with the, the 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 magnitude of their own, you know, failure as well. And we see this happening. We see him older. We see Emily Blunt. We see Emily Blunt refuse to shake uh, Benny Softy's hand because he he threw them under the bus back in the day. Um, and then it it ends with Oppenheimer 
as uh, Einstein's about to walk away, he picks up his hat and hands it back to him and says, you know that, that thing we thought was going to happen if, if we ignited the bomb, that it was going to basically start a chain reaction that destroyed the whole world. It did. Oh that my is God. the end of Oppenheimer. And some lady screamed, Fi- or thank God. Yeah, she's like, finally. I didn't hear that at all. Yeah. So, really? Some lady that, in the theater that said, bugged me so much. Right when it cut to I was black, like, go watch Shrek. Some lady said, thank God. Like, either like, thank God oh, it's oh, over it or whatever. Movie. And I was like, I, the, the, I always do that. I've been doing the thing where like, at the end of the movies, I'll leave when I know the movie's about to end. Just like, get to the restroom faster. It's stressing me out every time, Andy. <laughs> every fucking time. I see you getting up and I'm like. <laughs> I was just, I was just standing near the hallway and just kind of watch. Uh, but yeah, she said, I, I was so close to being like, shut up! <laughs> <laughs> shut up up there. Oh, uh, yeah. There it is, Ragu, everybody. Bagu, uh, nuclear war, uh, you know. So here's the thing. This is Christopher Nolan interview. A long time ago, we did this show. Mm-hmm. We had Ragu Bagu. We started it, and very quickly we realized there's usually not even bad guys in this movie. So we instead have Ragu Goo Goo. The Ragu good guys. Oh. Okay. Who the fuck uh, are we putting on this list? Which at some point in Nolan review, we realized we need to rename because they're not necessarily good guys some of the time. Yeah. So it's just, the I forgot what we called about Ragu Pro Tag. Oh, Ragu Pro Tag. Something like that. Right. Ragu so let me. <laughs> I can't wait to hear this list. Let What's me read to you the list so far for Ragu Pro Tag. In first place, we have All Right, All Right, All Right from Interstellar. Yep. Perfect. Oh, McConaughey. And number two, we have Batman and the Wolverine from The Prestige. <laughs> oh, that was unexpected. Yeah. <laughs> number Perfect. three, and, and, and by the way, the Dark Knight trilogy uh, are not included in this, this ranking of the, the Raggy Pro Tags. Right. Okay. Number three, we have Cobb Salad from Inception. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, DiCaprio's character was named Cobb. Yeah. Cobb. There, there you go, Cobb. This movie was actually missing Michael Caine. Oh, it was missing Michael Caine. Nice. Yeah. Sure uh, was. Uh, uh, I don't like that. Uh, number four, the protagonist. Oh, from, from Memento? Oh, from oh. Tenet. Yeah, oh. Tenet, whose name was the protagonist. Uh, number five, Lenny from Memento. Great guy, super guy. Number six, hoo from Insomnia. Yes, I <laughs> forgot he did Insomnia. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> number seven, the incredibly... Incredibly young boy from following. <laughs> I don't know what any of these mean, but these names are very funny. You don't want to have to worry about do, it, Joey. Do, Plausible do you guys remember why that is what it I was? I do not. I just, they call, pretty I think, sure the character's name is Young Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. he just kept getting younger and younger yeah. every yeah. time we just we like goat. a young boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then number eight, Watermelon Sugar from Dunkirk. <laughs> The styles, the styles, the styles. Yeah, yeah. So where do we want to rank? Gillian Murphy. Yeah, Oppie. I mean, I gotta say number one. I mean, legitimately, I just a I riveting feel, character. I, I feel like for what this list is, I'm just ranking the protagonist of the movie, like the, what it's about. I don't know how you get much better than this. I mean, Matthew McConaughey. I don't want to take away from that because, like, goddamn, what a performance! Oh, that was yeah, incredibly Con- moving. Like, yeah, the acting also yeah, was great. But I think that the, remember- the amount that Killian had to own in this movie and like d- scenes that were just him. And even when every other uh, actor was bringing their best, he was right there with them. Like it, there's something special. About this. Now I wait, put it at number one. Are we ranking the character or the actor? Both. It's the a little bit of both. Oh, it's, a little, it's, a little, yeah. it's tough. 
This it is, is tough, tough because I, I love Matthew McConaughey. Uh, I love Batman and Wolverine in The Prestige. Yeah, it's tough because... You don't know? The Knot, remember that? Mm, I do. Which Knot was it, boy? Which Knot was it, which not was it Borden? Oh, no, somebody says the wrong That's really good. Is that your Christian Bale? Langford Debo. Thank you. That was really good. Interstellar, one of my favorite movies. Definitely, I think Matthew McConaughey's best role. Hard, hard not to. I watched that movie. He is absolutely riveting in that. Oh, my God. But for a totally different reason. Um, I don't know. Maybe, you know I, I go I number say, one because it's, he's literally the title. And I feel like they succeeded at what well, they the, were doing. Matthew McConaughey's last name's character wasn't a sorry. <laughs> God damn it, you beat me to it. You beat me to my five seconds, Andy. Yeah, that's I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's hard. I say we just vote. I I'd can't go with two. I would go with two also. I'm going to go with one, but that doesn't oh, really help man. us here. Yo, hey, it's okay. We can tie here. No, I'm it's a... definitely number one. Oh, there's oh, Kevin coming in. Kevin's coming in there. Kevin's coming in. We got up. Kevin just dropped the hammer. Oppenheimer, we get character development over like such a longer period of time that I think I like. I think that it's more riveting to me. Time's relative, though, Joey. I guess that is true. God, <laughs> fucking oh, Miller's planet. <laughs> he's using a dubbo, isn't he? He's not yeah, using a dubbo. Remember this? Remember this? I don't have a finger. Oh, wow. I cut my finger off. That's so my impression good. of He's Christian Bale. You nailed it. You, you nailed it. All right, now it's time to rank the Christopher Nolan movies. This includes the Dark Knight trilogy. Currently number one, The Dark Knight. Two, Interstellar. Three, Inception. Four, Batman Begins. Five, Tenet. What? Six, The Prestige. This is Seven, The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, eight, Memento. Nine, Dunkirk. Ten, Following. And eleven, in some, this yeah. list is pretty who great. Let <laughs> this list is who pretty put great. Tenant above the prestige. Uh, I don't who know. I think I got Jordan? railroaded on there's that. A good, I didn't like there, Tenet. It's a really good movie, Joey. There, it's a really there, there's good a good Joey. Chance. You get it that the T, if you spell it the opposite way, it's the T still there. It's a tenant. Tenant. Yeah. There's a good chance I did, but I'm mad about it now. I, um, <laughs> that's what happened last time. Joe. I hold I was you like, personally responsible. I was like, who the fuck put Quantum Mania that high? I was like, oh my bad. Um, <laughs> I would put Oppenheimer. Oh, God, how can I put it? I can't put it above the prestige. I enjoy the prestige much more as a... F- I mean, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put it at number seven. Oh, underneath the prestige. Heyo, yeah. heyo. That's exactly where I put it. Whoa. Exactly where I put it. Good lord, Christopher Nolan, debatably the greatest of all time. You look at this list of movies, and man, we have some absolute bangers. Um, I think that the the Dark Knight Rises and below on this list, all fantastic movies, but I feel like don't have that level of oomph for prestige or whatever it is. Prestige, uh, prestige, yeah. Um, but yeah, from I think six up, Tenet. Like I, I, I need to rewatch it. Only seen it the one time. Um, really enjoyed it. Don't think it hit the highs of the more gimmicky, um, high level thinking that uh, of my favorite type of Nolan movies, like the Inceptions and Interstellar's, um, or the Dark Knight movies, which I think are just so goddamn good. Um, so yeah, I'd put this at at number seven, just because the more historical based things like this and Dunkirk aren't my favorite cup of tea um but i do feel like that despite all of that this is a, a a masterpiece of a film number seven nick what are you thinking uh i would put it a little higher i didn't i didn't particularly care about care for tenant uh so this is one of those things where it's like i like the prestige but i didn't care for tenant yeah where do i want to put this i would i think just based on the merits of the acting and the cinematography alone and the fact that in the sound design i got to put this a little bit above it so i would probably put this number five 
put this right below Batman Begins. I think this movie is just a, a massive accomplishment for a biopic, and I think it, it, it's very, very good. Yeah, I actually am, like, perfectly with him and Andy. Okay. I think on my personal list, it, uh, Oppenheimer is going to rank higher than seven because I'm going to rearrange the top stuff, the top half of this. But um, it's I think with Dunkirk, I think these are both movies that are at least Oppenheimer. I think I agree with you that this is like required viewing, but this is not one that has high rewatchability compared to everything else mm. above it for me, except for Tenant. But yeah. Kev, I want to give you, like, uh, the, the ranking is here. We uh, Number seven, we have uh, Oppenheimer here. But, Kev, uh, I know you really, really enjoyed this one. You want to talk about it for a sec? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely love this movie. I was utterly blown away by just everything about it. Like, the cinematography, the editing. It, this movie was so fast. Like, it, that, like, I looked at my watch just to be like, I can't believe, like, how much... Like, how long has passed? Yeah. And I was utterly shocked. I was literally on the edge of my seat. I was in He was. Thralled. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, scooted forward so much just because, like, everything about this movie worked for me. And, like, I am going into this movie. I, I caught Barrett outside of uh, the movie theater, and we were talking for a minute. And he, I was like, yeah, I just, I, I haven't seen a serious, like, a non-science uh, fiction Nolan movie in so long. He's like, oh, Dunkirk was pretty good. And he said that, and I was like, oh, I totally forgot Dunkirk was a thing. And that kind of, just for a moment, I was like, uh, I, I didn't love the tone of that movie, and I hope this isn't that. And it wasn't. Like, this movie blew me away. The casting is, every aspect of it is insane. I think that walking out of the movie theater, I said, this is definitely one of my favorite movies, and I think this is my favorite Nolan film now. Whoa. Dang. Wow, wow. That's awesome. Let us know in the comments below uh, if you haven't seen the movie yet, if you're excited to watch it, uh, and if you have seen it, what you thought about it. And then remember, like I've been saying, we have Barbie next week. Please tune in for that one. Patreon.com slash kind of funny to watch it on Monday. Otherwise, Tuesday for everyone else. We're going to have so much fun with it. We have some fun things planned. I don't even know yet. Uh, and then I the, don't even know the, the, the week after that, uh, we got uh, secret invasion with the whole crew. Um, it's going to be a great time. Can't wait to see you through all of that. But until next time, um, I don't, I don't know. Um, wow. <laughs>